0: You're listening to Seed of the Woman, a podcast dedicated to telling the grandest story of all and to exposing the mystery of 666. Randall Gilmore here. We've come to a point in the podcast where it's time to zero in on what we can do now in the buildup to the political, economic, and religious system of the beast. Calculating 666, as Revelation 13 18 tells us to do, has led to our discovery of ties between 666 and corruptions of God's design and plan, going back to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel, and perhaps to an even earlier time than that. But the story of Babel and its tower has proven to be pivotal because that was the occasion in history when Satan seized upon the details of what happened to Noah and his family and the rest of the world in the flood to institutionalize his counter story to the true story of the seed of the woman. And though Genesis 11 leaves off with God confusing the people's language and dispersing them over the face of the whole earth, thereby interrupting their attempts to build their city and to make a name for themselves, though the story leaves off there, that's not where it ends. So when the people spread out, they took their let us make a name for ourselves beliefs, values, and practices with them, and they institutionalized them, in bits and pieces at least, and with myths and mysteries and symbols they invented and added in throughout history, all the while showing evidence of a common origin, And a shared determination to reunite someday and once again become the world's dominant political, economic, and religious system. Only this time not under the control of Nimrod, or any other historical pretender to Satan's power and throne and great authority, but under the seat of the serpent himself, Revelation 13's beast out of the sea. Now, from the beginning, I've said that the beast out of the sea doesn't actually reveal himself until the midway point of the final seven years, but I've also said repeatedly that the beliefs, values, and practices underlying the system of the beast, when they appear, do not just drop out of the sky. They have historical antecedents, going back in history as far as we can see, but coalescing and obviously gaining strength long before the final seven years begins. This is the time frame I believe we are living through right now, just prior to the final seven years. And I know that a lot of people see this, and see the world moving closer and closer to the totalitarianism of the beast system, and its control of the world's economy and currency, and the mark that will be forced upon all. And in reaction to this, to say they are becoming concerned is an understatement. So I want to use this episode to take a look back at one other time in history long after Babel, but a time when the political, economic, and religious system of Babel reconstituted itself and nearly defeated God's plan for the seed of the woman. I'll get into it right after the break. The time in history I'm talking about, when the political, economic, and religious system of Babel reconstituted itself, It's found in the book of Daniel, chapter one, when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, overruns Judah's capital, plunders the temple, and takes youths from the royal family, exiling them to live in Babylon, while stripping them of their identity and doing everything possible to brainwash them and co-opt them into serving Babylon's political, economic, and religious system. Now you should know that Daniel chapter one includes language meant to invoke the earlier story of Babel from back in Genesis 11. For one, the Hebrew word translated Babylon throughout the Old Testament is the word Babel. It's translated Babylon because that's the Greek form of the word. But the Hebrew word is Babel, the same as we see in Genesis chapter 11. Now Daniel chapter one also refers to the land of Shinar, the place according to Genesis 11, where people built the tower. And by the way, both stories feature a change in language. In Genesis 11, God changes the language of the people. In Daniel 1, Nebuchadnezzar changes the language of his captives. So Daniel chapter one uses a number of tools to make sure as we read that we're keeping the original Babel in mind. Only this time, unlike what happened before when God's plan came out on top, everything in Daniel chapter one seems to indicate that the tables have turned and Babel has won. And add in the oppression that Nebuchadnezzar's political, economic, and religious system enforces on the Jews generally, and you have a situation that's very similar to the one described in Revelation 13. But what happens ultimately in Nebuchadnezzar's Babel is very similar to what's happened throughout history whenever God's plan for the seed of the woman seemed overshadowed by Satan's counter story. God always has a way of resetting the scene, and of putting on display his unlimited power to prevail. The apostle Peter said it this way, quote, "The Lord knows how to rescue the godly and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment." In other words, until his plan for the seed of the woman is fulfilled. And there are numerous indications of this throughout biblical history. For example, shortly after Cain murdered Abel, Complicating God's promise of a godly family line for the seed of the woman, Seth is born. And then the story pivots to Seth's son, Enosh, who restores the practice of people calling on the name of the Lord. And after God has to destroy the world with a flood because it's filled with violence and wickedness, he connects one of the most spectacular natural phenomenon ever, the rainbow, to assurance that his promise is still in effect and that the earth would continue for as long as it takes to fulfill his plan. And after Babel itself, and the story of its tower, in the very next chapter of Genesis, Genesis 12, God calls Abraham from out of the same part of the world where the tower once stood, and promises to fulfill his plan through him and his descendants. Now, back in the book of Daniel, it turns out, after that very dark hour when Babel seems to have won The rest of the book tells a different story, even to the point of God revealing for the first time ever certain details of His plan for the future of the world, details that continue to frame our understanding of end time events to this very day. And besides, even in Daniel chapter 1, when the darkness seems as dark as it can be, there are numerous assurances that God still possesses the power to prevail. In fact, chapter 1 opens by stating unequivocally that Nebuchadnezzar emerged the victor in this case because God gave the king of Judah into his hand. So God hadn't really lost to Nebuchadnezzar after all. God was still in charge, and everything that happened happened within the scope of his plan. I think this is one of the most important truths to keep in mind in the build-up to the final seven years. Satan will do everything he can to make it look like he's won, and it will look like that. And will feel like that when the beast's political economic and religious system finally stands up and as i've said repeatedly even leading up to that time there will be darkness and the beliefs values and practices tied to 666 will begin to dominate as they are already starting to do even now so what are we to do we know the bible very clearly teaches that no one should ever submit to receiving the mark the consequences of that are so severe and eternal. Besides, Revelation 13 also promises significant blessing to those who endure, and surely that includes enduring now also. So, how can we endure now in the build up to 666 and its associated beliefs, values, and practices? The answer, I believe, is found in Daniel chapter 1, in the example of Daniel the man and his companions, Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah, who endured with such grace through Babel's attempt back then to reconstitute itself. For starters, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us that Daniel, quote, resolved not to defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, to be honest, it seems remarkable that Daniel took such a stand over something as mundane as food and wine. But then again, As Daniel reflected on the dietary guidelines God gave in the Torah, as well as on the other things he knew about God's plan, including God's purposes for the captivity in Babylon, Daniel discerned that eating and drinking the king's fare amounted to disobedience and to failing to take God into account. And As it turned out, Daniel's resolve changed the course of his life in captivity for the good as it will for anyone who endures. And that doesn't mean none will ever suffer for our resolve. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah all found this out. But like them, whether God delivers us in the moment or not, collaboration with the system of the beast is not an option. That's one reason why I've spent so much time talking about 666 in this podcast. I've said repeatedly that 666 is only one of many symbols of the beliefs, values, and practices of the political, economic and religious system of the beast. And it's a capstone symbol at that. Meanwhile, the beliefs, values and practices tied to 666 are already dominating the world. So enduring now means recognizing those beliefs, values and practices for what they are and not collaborating. No matter how attractive the beliefs, values and practices may look as the system of the beast draws near and some will be attractive Because remember, the system of the beast will offer the world a utopia as an alternative to God's plan. But no alternative to God's plan can ever truly enrich us. It can only defile us. So like Daniel and the others, our enduring begins with our resolve to align ourselves with what God thinks. No matter what the issue is, to align ourselves with what God thinks and then to obey Him. In the end, Daniel's resolve not to defile himself led to his having boldness. And boldness turns out to be another point of emphasis for enduring the rise of the babel that's coming at the end of the age. In Daniel's case, according to chapter 1 and verse 8, Daniel went to the chief of eunuchs and asked to be allowed not to defile himself. And that took courage. Because the chief of the eunuchs could have ordered Daniel's execution right then and there. But as you know from this story, he gave his permission. But even if he hadn't, Daniel found the courage to stand up for his faith. Now, it seems reasonable to connect Daniel's courage to his earlier resolve, and the reward for that resolve was his finding a way whereby he could openly obey God. And that leads to another interesting insight. There's really no natural explanation for why the chief of the eunuchs responded so favorably to Daniel The only explanation is that God gave Daniel the favor he needed. And God did it again, according to chapter 1 and verse 15, when Daniel and his friends ended up looking, quote, better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. But even that wasn't the end of God's favor. Because he gave his favor again, according to chapter 1 and verse 20, when he gave Daniel and the others, quote, learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and also when he gave Daniel understanding in all visions and dreams. It turns out that when you're standing with resolve and courage on a path of God's choosing, you have access to resources that are otherwise hidden to the world. And this is true even when you're surrounded and threatened, as were Daniel and his friends, by the beliefs, values, and practices of the Babel system. And in your case in mine, that's the system of the beast of Revelation 13. So if you're looking for strategies to employ as we draw closer to the end of the age and the final seven years, in the political, economic, and religious system of the beast, as the beliefs, values, and practices tied to 666 continue to rise, look to the example of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They resolved not to defile themselves. They lived boldly and they thrived on the resources that God provides. Resources hidden to the world, but resources that line paths of endurance. In the end, God makes it possible for us not only to endure, but to thrive during the buildup to 666 and the system of the beast. But how does our enduring and thriving affect our witness? What's the messaging we should use What exactly does the world need to hear from us now in the build-up to 666? More next time on Seed of the Woman.